You're listening to Witham's Taxing Topics. When it rains, it pours. Tax regulations and guidance are dynamic, continually changing domestic and international financial waters. Step under Witham's umbrella to better weather the storms of tending taxing topics. We'll share the essential news and information you need to prepare for what's ahead. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Shannon Metz, a senior manager at Witham, and I work a lot with companies that have international operations. And those companies often have foreign currency transactions, uh, which we're going to talk about today. I'm here with Angela Pulaski, who is going to give some insight on the tax treatment related to these types of transactions, which can differ from how it is recorded in a company's books and records. Angela? Hi, everyone. I'm Angela Pulaski, and I am a tax manager here at Withom. I work largely with clients who have international tax reporting requirements with the IRS. Um, so Shannon, do you want to give us an overview of what a foreign currency transaction is? Sure, Angela, I would love to. A foreign currency transaction is when a company enters into a transaction that is denominated in a currency other than the company's functional currency. Um, do you know how a company would determine what their functional currency is? Uh, I believe so. Is it the currency of the primary economic environment in which the entity will operate? That's correct. Um, normally, it is the currency of the environment in which the entity primarily generates and expends cash. For example, um, if you have a US entity where most of their revenue transactions are generated in the US, and their expenses are primarily in the US, their functional currency would obviously be the US dollar. Um, however, the functional currency is not necessarily the currency of the country in which it is located. For example, if you have a foreign subsidiary based in the United States with a parent company, say in Germany, if the sub is an extension of that parent company, um, the US subsidiary might have a functional currency of the euro instead of the US dollar. Interesting. Interesting. So do you agree that the most common foreign currency transactions are those as a result of buying or selling goods or services along with the related accounts payable and accounts receivable? Yes, I do. But there is also transactions that could result in foreign exchange gains and losses, um, such as the borrowing or lending of money. So how is a foreign currency transaction recorded in a company's books and records then? Well, at the date a foreign currency transaction occurs, each asset or liability and related revenue or expense arising from the transaction is recorded in the functional currency of the entity using the exchange rate in effect at that time, which could then result subsequently in a transaction gain or loss due to the change in the exchange rate prior to it being settled. So when you say prior to it being settled, there could be a gain or loss when they actually settle the transaction. For example, when the cash was received related to an accounts receivable or cash was paid related to an outstanding payable. But there could also be a gain or loss as of the balance sheet date if it was not yet settled. Is that correct, Shannon? 
Yes. So if you have a transaction that has not been settled, you would have to revalue that at each reporting period, whether that be monthly or quarterly or annually using the exchange rate as of those dates. So what you're saying, for example, if company A is a U.S. operating entity whose functional currency is the U.S. dollar purchases product from company B, let's say a Spanish operating entity whose functional currency is euro and their transaction is denominated in euros. The U.S. company would record the initial transaction using the exchange rate on the date the transaction occurred. And if it was paid before their next reporting period, let's say year end, they would record the amount settled based on the rate at that time of settlement. And then the difference between those rates would result in the transaction gain or loss. Correct. And the transaction gain or loss at the time of settlement, that would be a realized gain. Is that correct? Yes. So for tax purposes, the realized gain or loss would be picked up on the tax return as ordinary income or as a deduction that would be fully deductible. Whereas the unrealized gain or loss would be a temporary book to tax difference. And then that would be recorded as an M1. Shannon, uh, would you like to explain how an unrealized gain or loss would occur? Sure. Going back to what you said before, if company A did not settle that transaction by their year end, assuming an annual reporting, um, then they would revalue their accounts payable using the exchange rate as of the year end date. And they would record a gain or loss depending on the change in the exchange rate from when the initial transaction occurred um, to year end. And since it was not settled, that gain or loss would be unrealized. Right, yes, that's correct. And if that transaction then gets settled after year end, you would record a realized gain or loss based on the change in exchange rate from the initial transaction to the date it was actually settled. So the unrealized gain or loss previously recorded would then just be reversed. How do you typically see that um, in your clients' books and records, Shannon? It is common for companies to record foreign exchange gains or losses to one account, but it's really important to account for unrealized and realized gains and losses separately in their books and records to ensure proper tax treatment. Um, when a transaction is settled, as we mentioned earlier, the difference between the initial transaction and the amount of the transaction at the settlement date should be recorded to a realized gain or loss general ledger account. And when you revalue an outstanding balance not yet settled as of the reporting date, that really should be recorded to an unrealized account. And the other side of the adjustment, I often see a separate balance sheet account. So for example, if it's related to accounts payable, instead of posting the adjustment to AP, there's a separate account maybe called accounts payable revaluation. Yeah, so I agree. I think it's very important that the unrealized gains and losses are accounted for separately especially for tax purposes. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're not recognizing too much income or taking too much expense on your tax return. And when you're not separating these accounts, you know, on your financials from realized versus unrealized, it's hard to differentiate um, those different portions. So I think it is very important to, to be able to 
value them differently on the financials. Yes, I agree, because then that'll just add more work for you come tax time um, to have to then go back and figure out how much of this was unrealized and how much of this is realized if they just um, account for them separately from the beginning. So I agree. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think that's all we have for today. Yes, I think we covered everything. Thanks everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to Withens Tax and Topics. Contact us with your feedback or suggestions for future podcast topics. Visit www.withem.com for additional information. Send an email to info at withem.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Withem CPA. Thank you for listening.